Hey everyone, this is George Soto and you're watching Startups Unedited. Hey everyone, this is George Soto with Soto Ventures. I'm actually based in Amsterdam today, sitting down with John Woodruff. John, how are you doing? Doing good, how are you doing? Good, thanks for taking the time to, Dude, to thanks chat. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One, thank you for showing me around. John, tell us about your, your background, how you got involved with startups, and specifically how you kind of figured out the convergence between startups and biking. Yeah, and I'll try to um, try to compress it down, I guess. I mean, entrepreneurially wise, if that's a word, uh, I ended up starting a bike shop with some friends of mine in 2007. They were bike messenger friends of mine in Atlanta. We were all on the track bikes. Nobody was really selling fixed gears in Atlanta. So we are like, oh, what the hell, how hard would it be for us to start a shop? So I started a bike shop with some friends of mine and cut my teeth on online marketing, uh, blogging, promoting my business, running it, just paying taxes, administration, city hall kind of stuff. Uh, and that's what got me into the other jobs that I got down the road when I left the shop, like working at a translation agency, doing similar stuff. But to your question, when I realized this kind of common thread is when I caught wind of a Ruby on Rails consultancy. All I did was back-end Ruby on Rails development for well, big companies and soon-to-be big companies. And I didn't really even know what that was, but I knew a lot of the developers because we all rode bikes together. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of my in. That was kind of like my street cred as they knew me because we rode bikes and we had this kind of yeah, shared uh, mutual respect. Maybe I helped them fix their bike or vice versa or whatever. Um, and Eureka moment-wise, I would say, um, after I'd been working for that company for some time, I think even after they had merged with a larger company, which ultimately brought me here, called Big Nerd Ranch, I think I was riding in San Francisco with a group. I'm always riding early. I've done that in Atlanta. I do that here. I was riding with a group, uploaded it to Strava, and was using Salesloft's uh, prospecting tool, the Chrome plugin, and highlighting all the names that I rode with on Strava and adding them on LinkedIn. Like, hey, I was on the yellow bike with the pink Chris King hubs, etc. Mm -hmm. yeah. And like, they were all designers, let's say at Timbuktu, maybe worked on product at box.com, but they were all like in that same industry, and it's just like the shared passion that we all had. So it wasn't any kind of like contrived thing, it's just like we all happened to kind of have the opportunity to work together, and we also love cycling. Awesome. What are some of the nuances that you found? when doing business in the Netherlands versus the United States? Um, well, I'd say maybe, maybe two things for starters. One, like sales-wise, one thing I had to really explain to people back in Atlanta is like in the States, if you get an inbound lead or maybe you just get contact with somebody and you're doing like cold outreach and they respond and maybe you'll book a call the next week or so, um, probably by the end of that month, you're going to have a, a ballpark, let's say, a week or two after uh, you have the conversation. And probably within four to six weeks, you're going to know like if you can play ball or not. Like, Is this, is this going to be business we can pursue that they're interested if you, you know, I'm interested? In. Is that, is that going to work? And you're going to know relatively quickly. Here, not necessarily just to the startup scene or the tech scene, I would say business in, in Netherlands and maybe Europe to a larger extent, but specifically here you're probably not going to get that first meeting in the first four weeks. So like if you get that contact, it's going to take you seven more weeks just to get that meeting. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, there's like other people that need to sign off on it. Even if it's a small organization, just the way things are considered and decided. Mm -hmm. So the, the sales cycle ends up being a lot longer. So when you hear about the way people are lining up their sales process in the States, it's much more condensed. And if you try to bring that here, 
even in the tech scene and the startup scene, it's going to seem way too pushy because you're trying to force it. Yeah. Um, and then the second thing I would say is the whole kind of like pay it forward kind of idea where like you just make an introduction, you help someone, you give them feedback on their beta app or whatever, just to be nice. You're just paying it forward. Like you, you, maybe you've done that before, you have some insight, you have a coffee and it's no problem. That's just catching on here, I feel like. Like some people it's not yet intuitive. They think that there's like an ulterior motive, they're not motivated and like I think it holds teams back or maybe even the scene back a little bit because people feel like it needs to be a little more transactional. Like if I do this, you do this, you do this and like again back to the sales cycle and then six months goes by and it's like you could have just had a coffee and helped them and then you probably both would be better off. You know what I mean? Totally. Okay. So are we saying that from a sales development perspective or top of the funnel perspective that's a little more nuanced or cumbersome uh, here in the Netherlands specifically or North in Europe versus it takes longer US. and I'm not the first person to say that I mean I think people from huge companies down to smaller companies of the US companies trying to get rolling here I'm sure even we work where we are right now has experienced that just getting things rolling and maybe establishing partners or getting new tenants and stuff like that that being said surprisingly administratively like setting up my own company here getting things rolling with the Gemeinte, the city of Amsterdam, or even at a, a federal level, like with stuff that I have to do with like immigration, like that all is really straightforward, actually. Mm -hmm. So last year when I reapplied for my visas, for moving my family and set up a company and everything, that took maybe six weeks. So on one hand, business development-wise, stuff can stretch out, but as far as like running a company here, it's actually really straightforward. Absolutely. Quick question. So we met, just for the viewers out there, we met while I was running sales for startups and what I was trying to do at that moment was start to spread the gospel globally and I was lucky enough to meet you and, and you conducted a couple uh, yeah. joint efforts um, and what would you say now that you've been running and I guess officially you run Sales Hacker in Amsterdam yeah. and I would say most of Europe now as well, you know, at least that's how it's trending. Um, what uh, what would you say are some of the nuances or obstacles or challenges that you've had in terms of getting people to show up to events, getting people to pay for events, for startup events, those sorts of things? Uh, I think people are interested. I don't think the challenge is there. I mean, sometimes the weather is kind of rough or things like that. People like to plan further out. So if I uh, don't have the date secured for the location or speaker secured, like, yeah, again, magic number, like four to six weeks out, which is just kind of a challenge sometimes. Um, but otherwise, people are motivated to come to the event. I've typically had 30, 40, 50, sometimes a little bit more people attend because there is a ton of interest in business development and sales, uh, especially when people are just getting a company rolling and they've had one and they're trying to grow their um, SDR team or their account executives that got their skills and stuff like that. Um, I think the difference, maybe you're, you're, what you're hinting at, um, I don't know if it's that different from the states. I mean, people think that if they write this email like over and over again, or if they make this call and like they just keep doing it, maybe it's like something that manager did before, or like just look up their number, or like the, this kind of like old-fashioned way of doing things, but not necessarily maybe leveraging social media or ensuring their email is really short. Like, how do they? Um, 
what apps do they use to send lots of emails if they built a, lar a larger list or something like that? Like the tools there, like kind of sales stack wise, how do they work smarter? Or even in the most innovative companies, if you have a salesperson uh, focusing on, uh, on business development, they might be doing it in kind of an old fashioned way, like literally typing each email and not even using templates. Gotcha, gotcha. So some of the, the same issues that I think we, we deal with broadly speaking, I know that when you're stuck in like Silicon Valley, I don't want to say stuck, but when you're in Silicon Valley, you, you're kind of in this bubble and you're assuming that everyone is using the latest and greatest and the most automated systems. But they're probably not. <laughs> yeah, I mean the majority of the United States market is not using... But in, in defense of like the... I mean, it's not really a scene. I think it's kind of like uh, genetic. Like the Dutch are known historically for like doing business really well, mm -hmm. so they they actually do that totally fine. I mean, once they end up meeting face to face, and that probably maybe is a difference. Like in the states, there's no problem skyping or Google Voice or whatever. And here, it's like you're going to make a trip, even if to another city, even further out in the Netherlands, maybe from Rotterdam to Zwolle or whatever, and you're going to go meet them face to face. So there are there are little nuanced. Differences and there are things that I think might be normal coming from the states. One classic example is like when I wrap up an email and I'm like, hey, if we don't have a chance to talk sooner, I'll check back in two weeks. Like here, that's almost interpreted as like too pushy. On my on my end, I'm trying to be proactive, and then when I follow up in two weeks, maybe the other follow up, I'm doing what I said I was going to do and trying to establish this credibility that I do what I what, that I do what I say I'm going to do, and maybe my product or service will also do what it says it's going to do. But here, that's like a little too, too it's forward. It's a little yeah. too forward, and there's not even like a chill way to say that necessarily in Dutch. It just seems a little too like, you know. Totally. Yeah. John, tell us three tips that you would provide to startup founders here in the Netherlands uh, around things to avoid or be mindful of as they build their startup. I would say, and I think people make the same mistake in the States, like if he's like, all right, shit, we got to get serious about our B2B sales, let me bring in some VP that's done this for Philips or, uh, I don't know, some, some big company and he's, he's, he's done this, he's built teams, so they spend a lot on that salary and they bring in some guy that's been doing this for 15 years, like, might be a total badass, but how outside of the box is, the, is he going to think? Is he really going to be versatile enough to kind of pivot as the product kind of grows and changes. He's going to kind of go rogue more than likely and just kind of pound the pavement the way he's used to doing it, which more than likely won't resonate with the kinds of customers this startup is trying to engage with. So I think the same mistake happens uh, in the States, but pretty commonly here they're like, man, we need some super experienced sales guy. Uh, secondly, um, yeah, I would say um, don't assume even that you need that that experienced sales guy, it could be someone junior, but it really could be you. So with the sales hacker thing, to me, I was inspired by like, I see my old Ruby on Rails colleagues or designers and developers that I knew, like other people that are kind of more into the nuts and bolts of how these technologies are built. They go to conferences, meetups, they're learning how to do that. At sales hackers, if you establish your uh, sales process, if you're using tools to follow up consistently, if you've got actionable emails, uh, tools to schedule meetings efficiently, you could be a technical co-founder and be closing deals. So don't assume that you even like necessarily need a sales guy out the gate. A lot of the stuff you could do yourself. And um, the last advice I would say, it's kind of cheesy. I mean, it's kind of what I open a lot of my talks with. It's kind of always be learning kind of thing. Like, 
giving credit back to Springus, the Dutch company I worked at here, that was kind of one of their mantras. Like, once you learn like a tool or a tip or you start pitching your, your product or you're sending emails in a certain way or this is just how you, you pitch for sales, don't stop at that. Like, don't think like, oh, that's our, our canned like email or affordable introduction to a new, to a new lead. You should constantly be reevaluating that, like what it is that you're doing. Because like at Springist, for instance, the product was always kind of, kind of changing. And if like four or eight weeks or however many months down the road, and if I was still selling it the same way I was when I first started, it wouldn't even reflect what we were offering. So being agile. Exactly. Yeah. So I think salespeople forget about that. They they get in like a comfort zone and they're doing calls and emails the same way. And like the customer might change what they're looking for, that what they're selling might change. So like don't overlook that. I think it's easy to just let that get too static. I love to talk about how in engineering or product development we talk about agile development, right? Ruby and yeah, totally. etc. I love to talk about kind of the startup sales process or entrepreneurial sales process as being an agile sales process, right? I mean, you need to. to no, it's totally true. Yeah, at, at High Groove, the Ruby on Rails uh, company I worked at, um, they did an agile workshop, and I actually joined it, like with, you know, software developer uh, coworkers of mine, and ultimately I was able to do and always surprise people like write blog posts and markdown or do pull requests, like base, basic stuff that so they so. didn't expect the sales guy to do. And ultimately wrote a blog post, I think it was um, not a developer, no problem, like agile for sales or something like that. I think if you literally Google those words, you'll find it's still in the Bigner Ranch blog. But taking the 12 agile principles and applying them to sales, like looking back retrospectively, what worked, what didn't, bias towards face-to-face -face communication, um, always be testing things, like A-B testing, like people open the emails more when it mentions their first name in the subject line or something like oh, that works, or like, you know, stuff you and I talked about yesterday evening, like tracking that data so that you're selling smarter instead of just like, you know, spraying and praying and, and smiling and dialing and just <laughs> never, you know, and you're just banging your head against the wall. Like if you dig under the surface a little bit and use that data, then you're just going to be so much smarter. John, what are your favorite sales tools today? Oh, man. Um, I know there are a variety of them. Assistant.to okay. for meeting scheduling because I talked to people in California, recently Australia, Europe has a few time zones. I was doing a project with people in Russia, so like scheduling meetings is outrageous. Like time zones is is ridiculous. It's always a pain in the ass. Assistant.to is in your Chrome browser when you got Gmail open. You click the little logo at the bottom brings up your Google Calendar, you can see your availability, you click them, and keep in mind maybe it needs to be 5 a.m. for me, I'm already awake, or 9 p.m. after my kids are asleep, and I click a few I'm available, and it puts it into your, your Gmail, you could send that, but let's say someone hit me up on Twitter, or maybe I just want to make a link in the email, just like click, click, meeting booked. If I take the time, this like view in your time zone, if I just grab that hyperlink, and I'm like, hey, pick a time here, and make that here, that link, mm -hmm. they click it, and they're like, oh, I'm in blah, standard time, or this continent, or whatever, they click that, and it'll show it in their time zone, and they can book it, and it saves me so much time. So that, that's one, assistant.to. Um, the second one, maybe uh, most recently, LinkedIn export tool. It's also a Chrome plugin. Might have been developed in Ukraine or Russia. The guy's super nice. I pay like five euros a month for it. And you literally can go to LinkedIn, 
put in your search criteria, let's say second degree connections at companies where we're 500 people with the title marketing in blah. Literally, you can export those results, like all those pages, into a CSV, and then you've got this list. So sometimes I'll have a meeting with a prospect for sales consulting here, and I'll just make them a list, like almost like magic right in front of them and give it to them. And of course, for them to get the contact information, reach out in a consistent way, in a way that's going to compel them to answer, respond, and like move them through the sales process that they may not have yet, that's where I'm ultimately able to help, but just to show them like, just like that, there's a list of prospects. It's a pretty valuable tool. Well, John, thank you so much. You know, like I always say, you know, it's, it's fantastic to meet with you. How can folks get in contact with you if, uh, if they want to perhaps pitch you an idea or hire you for uh, sales consulting services? So uh, on, on Twitter, it's Two Tone AMS, T-W-O-T-O-N-E AMS. So just hit me up on Twitter, also on Instagram. Uh, if you give me a follow, it'll send you a note to my newsletter. And that's probably the best way to get in touch, I would say. Um, there's lots of emails going to my inbox. Just hit me up on Twitter, Two Tone AMS. Cool.